Opening Dharma Access, a podcast where we hear stories from BIPOC teachers about their Dharma experiences and practice, and how these inform the ways they are sharing the Dharma today. I am Kyra Jewel Lingo, your host for this episode. Joining me today is La Sarmiento. La Sarmiento has been practicing Vipassana meditation since 1998. They are the guiding teacher of the Insight Meditation Community of Washington's BIPOC and LGBTQIA Sanghas, a mentor for the Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification Program and Cloud Sangha, a contributor to the 10% Happier app, and a graduate of Spirit Rock's Community Dharma Leader Training Program. Dear La, so grateful to have you here today. Thank you so much for being on this Opening Dharma Access podcast. Oh, thank you, Kyra Jewel. Always a joy to be with you, no matter what we're doing together. <laughs> <laughs> and we've, we've done lots of different things together. And yeah. I really appreciated uh, learning from you and, mm. and uh, being in your presence. So. Um, the feeling is very mutual, dear. <laughs> so I'd like to start... Uh, dear La, by asking you to share how you identify racially, ethnically, and any other categories of social location that are important to you at this moment in time. Yeah. So I often identify as an immigrant, non-binary person of color of Philippine origin. Um, And I've been an American citizen since I was probably 14. Um, And uh, yeah, I live in the United States in Towson, Maryland, the unceded land at the Piscataway. And um, yeah, that's how I identify right now. Mm, Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Many different rich backgrounds that are woven together and Mm. that I'm sure inform what you offer. Mm. And so... um, in your experience as a BIPOC practitioner, um, what have you found to be supportive or not supportive to you in the places where you have practiced or trained as a yogi, as a student? Mm-hmm. So when I first started um, practicing meditation and being introduced into the Dharma, it was through a dominant culture community, community and Sangha where, you know, I often tease that, um, you know, other than the Buddha sitting next to the teacher, I was the only other person of color in the room. And because I grew up in um, a family, uh, an immigrant family, where uh, my parents' survival mechanism uh, to be in this country was to assimilate into dominant culture, I was pretty um, comfortable you know, sort of being the only one, uh, not really sort of recognizing at that time, um, you know, sort of being tokenized, but actually feeling a little special because I was the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the and just also recognizing how much of my identity as um, not only a person of color, but as a queer and, and non-binary person that I long rejected because those identities didn't really do much for me, you know, if I had claimed them. And so it wasn't until, 
this dominant culture community began exploring um, issues of diversity, inclusion, equity, and accessibility uh, that I began to really reclaim my identity as a person of color uh, and trans non-binary person in particular. And so, um, you know, for about seven years, I was in mostly uh, dominant culture spaces. And it wasn't until I went to my first um, people of color retreat out at Spirit Rock, where I was like, it was like the sun came out. <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh, there are people that are sitting on the dais that look like me. There are people that I'm sitting with in the sangha that look like me. They are sharing experiences and giving talks and answering questions about experiences that I never hear being brought up in dominant culture spaces. And I swore like after that retreat that I would never attend another dominant culture um, retreat unless they paid me. <laughs> they, I was teaching it or I was managing it. Um, and it was just really important, you know, to feel nourished and sustained by a community that I identified with. And I also went on LGBTQIA plus retreats and felt the same sense of connection and uh, resonance. Um, and I noticed that it started feeling a little hard you know, to be in dominant culture spaces, especially when my experiences as a person of color and as a queer and trans person were not necessarily addressed or spoken of. It's definitely changed some now, but back when I was coming up as a, as a young yogi, um, it was very different. So, um, you know, as much as many dominant culture spaces want to be welcoming, inclusive, diverse, uh, what I have found is that it's really about representation. It's about, well, how many, you know, um, diverse teachers can we get to teach with us? Or how many diverse yogis can we get to come sit with us without there being a really strong sense of how do we hold these folks, whether they be a teacher or a yogi? Like, what do we need to uh, do to raise our consciousness and awareness and sensitivity to the needs of these folks that we're bringing into our into our um, sangha, into our retreats, into our events. Um, so it's one thing about getting people to the table, but if you're not going to feed them what they would like to eat, then it doesn't serve ultimately. And so, um, so I'm very wary, you know. Uh, especially when like dominant culture sanghas, you know, will ask me to, um, you know, help them, you know, support them in their DEIA efforts. And I'm often like, well, my biggest question to you is like, why do you even want to do this? You know, because um, it's going to confront everything that you know about yourself and how you know the world to be. Mm -hmm. And if you're not ready, you know, to be challenged and, and questioned, like about that, then not sure, like if you're ready to do the work that's needed, which is very hard and challenging work to truly um, be an inclusive and welcoming diverse community. Mm -hmm. So um, I find, you know, when there are spaces uh, specifically created for um, folks of different affinities to come together and practice, that is really supportive. Yeah. more than folks in the dominant culture could ever know because mm -hmm. they're always in that space, you know, yeah, right. um, and often will question like, well, why do you need to separate yourselves out? Mm -hmm. 
And what they don't realize is like when we go to a different room, you're all in the same room together, <laughs> you know, and that's how it often is um, yeah. in your lives. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, what has been most helpful is to, to be in affinity um, groups and sanghas and retreats and events um, to give me the strength and courage to really be fully who I am mm -hmm. as my dear, you know, teacher and mentor, our dear teacher and mentor, Larry Yang has said to me, you know, um, we really come into these affinity spaces to nourish ourselves so that we can, you know, one day practice anywhere, anytime with anyone, mm -hmm. you know, to claim our belonging, you know, to receive the teachings in, in whatever way works for us, yeah. um, but to not let it stop us from, you know, getting yeah. access to yeah. the wisdom that's there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for naming that. Um, that, that that really has been where you've been able to kind of root, right? Mm -hmm. So that you could branch out and grow in these other ways, mm -hmm. but that there, there's something essential that happens in the affinity spaces that mm -hmm. just isn't available anywhere else. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't have to explain myself or explain my experience. Like, you know, when we're all in a room together and though, you know, it's often thought, well, you throw a bunch of BIPOC folks in and they're all the same. It's like, we're not, you know, our cultures are so different. Mm -hmm. You know, a black person's experience is different from an Asian person's experience, from an indigenous person's experience, a Latinx or Middle Eastern person's experience. Um, it's very, very different. And I found that also in the, the BIPOC Sangha that I lead, you know, for the longest time, folks in attendance would be probably 85 to 90% Black, African-American, and then me, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and there's just different ways that mm -hmm. culturally we express and how we process things and how mm -hmm. we view the world. Mm -hmm. um, so it really is also about expanding our own, uh, you know, understanding of each other, you know, even when we're lumped into you know, right. a certain kind of category or group. Right, right. Like learning each other's histories and... Mm -hmm. And um, the suffering that's yeah. particular to each group and the needs. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, yeah. And, and also, you know, to really honor and acknowledge, you know, mixed race folks. I mean, that's yeah. really, you know, there's yeah. so much of that. And also yeah. that yeah. feeling of displacement, like, I don't know where I belong, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I very much <laughs> identify yeah. in, in that. Uh, that in between those kind of spaces of, mm -hmm. of claiming many identities mm -hmm. and how complex that can be. Yeah. Um, so you, you've spoken so beautifully to, um, you know, the, the way spaces can be created to really nourish folks with these, you know, rich histories that aren't represented in mainstream sanghas um are there suggestions you have for how our communities could be more supportive of you and other BIPOC practitioners now mm -hmm. um, I think you know just like your invitation you know to me to be a part of this podcast you know it really is about lifting those voices of BIPOC teachers of LGBTQIA plus teachers of teachers with disabilities you know with deaf teachers like just the different um, experiences and backgrounds, you know, that are so rich, you know, oftentimes, especially in dominant culture spaces, you know, we will often mention the same people over and over and over again, you know, and 
as I mentor, you know, in this mindfulness teacher training, um, my challenge to my mentees is to like, I want you to put quotes in of people that you never, you know, that never get their voices, never get heard from, you know, like there's a lot of folks that get mentioned often. And so like raise these voices, they have so much to, to share and say from a very different lens and perspective that can help us all awaken. And so it's really about, um, you know, sharing the platform. And, you know, I think that that's really a part of it is like creating space, you know, for uh, teachers of diverse backgrounds to, um, to offer their teachings, to create ex- exposure to me. Um, and that's why every time I teach, a, especially a, um, a dominant culture retreat, you know, I will always share my social location or my social identities mm-hmm. um, so that people are aware of like, who, this is the lens through which I am sharing with you in my perspective. Um, and so it's really uh, important that that exposure, you know, deepens a sense of understanding you know, for some folks in dominant culture, they're never exposed to, you know, folks that are different from them. And so to hear, you know, about these different experiences, these different ways that we've interpreted the teachings because of our experiences yeah. um, is so key. Yeah. Thank you for naming those uh, suggestions of first to, to really draw on, lift up the voices of teachers mm-hmm. who um, aren't in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And also to name our social locations when mm-hmm. we when we speak. Mm-hmm. And I just want to highlight uh, that for me, that's been a really powerful practice as well because it it puts in relief the way um, that the habitual way to speak, which is to not acknowledge our mm-hmm. social location and assume it's shared by everyone mm-hmm. there or you know, in the not naming of it, it's like we don't we don't claim the privilege or power that we have access to. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm just appreciating your bringing that up because um, I notice that whenever that happens in a space, whoever is speaking, which is a position of power, right? Mm-hmm. If if we acknowledge our privilege, our power, where we are in you know the social hierarchies. Mm-hmm. Immediately, I, I feel it creates more safety and more of a, a place for people in the group to land. Yeah. To have yeah. that be acknowledged explicitly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then you um, let go of like assumptions that we have about the person that's speaking. Yeah. And I, and the experiences that I've had in, in naming, you know, and claiming these social identities, it helps those who identify in similar ways get like, Oh, there's somebody up there like me, mm-hmm. you know, who's willing to say that that's their identity. Also, exactly, right? exactly. In the past, that's been part of the the harm is not mm-hmm. being feeling safe enough to claim certain identities. Right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So, one of the biggest insights I got, Kyra Jewel, in my practice is like, why am I relying on something external to myself to, you know, determine my sense of worth or belonging? You know, can I, you know, develop the courage, strength, fortitude to claim my belonging no matter where I am, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Um, so coming from a much more empowered place than one relying on something that we don't have control over, things yeah. external to us. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, but to know, you know, truly like who we are and mm -hmm. trust that and know that we're not alone in that. Mm -hmm. That's such an important, such an important practice that you're naming. And I'm, I'm thinking of all the, the young people who, who may be really struggling at this moment in history with mm. the really um, repressive laws and mm -hmm. um, policies that are coming out around LGBTQ awareness mm -hmm. in schools or mm -hmm. uh, trans mm -hmm. um, supportive uh, medical practices to you know gender affirming mm -hmm. um, uh, care. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, because that's such a profound thing you just said about claiming your own belonging. Mm -hmm. What might you say to someone um, who's still working to find that? Yeah. 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 Well, it's just to acknowledge, you know, like it's really hard to hear these external messages, mm -hmm. you know, and our practice of mindfulness is to recognize when we've internalized those messages that has us then feel less than, feel unworthy, unlovable, unacceptable. I mean, I held that for a really, really long time, and it created so much suffering. Mm -hmm. And even when nobody was around me, I was telling myself those messages. Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, it came to a point where, like, you know, you can annul my marriage. You can like tell me what bathroom not to go into. You can, um, you know, strip me of whatever rights, but you can never take my dignity away unless I give it to you. Mm. You know, so I, in a lot of my settling in meditations, I remind people of their inherent dignity, their worthiness of belonging and existence mm. just because they were born. Mm. That that for me is the anchor that helps me like no matter what's going on, it's like, it's just craziness out there. You know, it's gaslighting. It's, it's a lot of um, motivations uh, around like greed, hatred, and delusion. It's those things are not true. You know, like you, they're, they're manipulations to like harm people. And so like they can do all that, but I don't have to um, lose my sense of, who I am or my self-worth or my dignity because that's happening. You know, for me, that's the real power of, of cultivating self-compassion and self-acceptance mm -hmm. is to get that that is separate from the noise really yeah. out yeah. there, the messaging out there. Yeah. And we need each other to remind us of that, you know, having you as an ally and, you know, having me be here and to speak to this um, is a, it's a beautiful practice and action that, you know, we can lift each other up and support each other in that way. Um, mm -hmm. So for those of us who carry those identities don't have to feel like we got to do it all by ourselves. Like we have allies and friends that love us, support us, yeah. you know, encourage us, want yeah. us to succeed. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And that circles back to what you shared at the very beginning of why these affinity spaces also mm -hmm. are so crucial. Mm -hmm. um, of all sorts, right? Um, all kinds of uh, identities that can come together and, and care for each other in this particular way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for that. Um, I really, I really wish for as many young people 
mm-hmm. uh, who may identify as gender non-conforming or non-binary or mm-hmm. LGBTQIA to, to really be able to study with you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, dear. Um, and I have a, a final question. Yeah. Um, given what you've shared about just the importance of, of cultivating this dignity within, um, could you speak to how your own experience influences the way you teach generally mm-hmm. and the way you work with BIPOC students in particular? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a great, great question. So, you know, I still like recognize um, those internalized messages, you know, of um, there's something wrong with me or I don't belong or I'm not enough. Like they're constantly there, you know, and they're constantly there, especially when I'm getting ready to teach. You know, there's always so much like doubt and fear and insecurity. And I, I often will recognize it as like a younger version of myself, you know, that struggled and had no um, ways to express, no one to turn to. You know, I had to hold this um, within myself, by myself, you know, for a really long time. And uh, so my vow, you know, to myself now is to take care of that younger one. Mm-hmm. And to um, let them know, like, we are actually okay. Mm-hmm. We are more than okay. Mm-hmm. You know, the younger mm-hmm. one's like, why are you going out there and telling everybody, like, who you are and mm-hmm. what your business is? And, mm-hmm. You know, they're going to hurt us. I mean, that's the yeah. fear. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the more I have found the courage to show up just as I am, mm-hmm you know, and share what it is that I know. And it's not everything. And that's okay, too, you know. So there's just a lot of um, deep practice of just self-acceptance and self-compassion and forgiveness, you know, that I've done to cultivate this way of just, yeah, this is me. If you want me, this is, you know, what you're going to get rather than forsake myself like I have in the past Mm -hmm. to conform or assimilate or be what other people want me to be it just doesn't feel right in my body anymore and so you know for you know yogis who are BIPOC or LGBTQIA plus or you know whatever you know that's not of the dominant culture it really is begins with our own acceptance of self you know and, and to be able to get how much we have relied on the acceptance outside of ourselves to determine our worth in this world and who we are in this world. And so really focusing inwards and nourishing and taking care of ourselves, our younger selves, those aspects, you know, that um, those messages that we've internalized to like, they're always going to be there, but I can relate to them differently. Mm-hmm. And that's what the practice does is have us recognize, wow, when I listen to those messages and I believe them, I suffer. Yeah. yeah. When I recognize that those messages are not who I really am, mm-hmm. I'm free. Yeah. Well, it's so important what you're saying. And, and when I think about it, 
on a systemic level. I think mm-hmm. about it as if we're all plugged in, say, to white supremacy. Mm-hmm. That's how it functions when mm-hmm. we do that to ourselves, when yeah. we keep repeating those messages. That's the only way it keeps going, right? right. Is that it's giving us those messages and we mm-hmm. keep going with those. But yeah. what happens when we unplug? Personally, we have this freedom, mm-hmm. but collectively, the whole system of white supremacy starts to get shakier. Yeah. So yeah. as you talked about that, I was like, wow, you know, what you're saying is also this huge radical act of resistance mm-hmm. on a systemic level as well to yeah. say, I'm not going to play that part in this play. Mm-hmm. This play mm-hmm. can't function if I don't play that part. Right. 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 Exactly. So um, exactly. And that's what's happening right now, you know, Mm -hmm. as more of us, you know, have come out, have felt Mm -hmm. more empowered, whether we be BIPOC or LGBTQIA+, Mm -hmm. and that's a threat to white supremacy. And that's why we see, you know, this opposition of just like wanting to shut it all down. Yeah. 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 Ban books. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, control what can be said and Mm -hmm. talked about. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's this recognition that they're losing power. Yeah, it's so so true. And we can, you know, and we need to continue to stay in our power, not only, you know, individually, but collectively, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because being completely free, you know, I think it's a quote from Albert Camus, you know, it's like to Mm -hmm. be completely free in an unfree world, like that's the, you know, greatest form of rebellion. Mm. you know it's like yes. i always think of mc hammer like you can't touch this <laughs> <laughs> you know it really is it's, that's that's the protection yeah. we yeah. i i feel like i've gotten from the dharma and the practice yeah. Yeah. it's like no way like you can't touch this heart that's you can't nice. touch this mind this body yeah. you know you can do all kinds of things to try to manipulate or harm like if you want to kill me it's not on me yeah. you know that's your karma yeah. to work out yeah you know, but I, it's not going to stop me from being who I am and living my life mm-hmm. with dignity. Mm. So, so beautiful. Uh, mm. uh, I could just see that as a an anthem. You know? <laughs> <laughs> BIPOC practitioners, you can't um, touch this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, it's just so, uh, it's such a place of power what you're speaking about yeah claiming and it's like i don't think that we talk about power very much in the dharma you know Mm -hmm. because it it has such connotation negative connotation to it but it but it really is it's like Mm -hmm. you have to be a powerful courageous Mm -hmm. person to be on this path yeah really do you know and i think you know our ancestors you know i love just like thinking about what they've all gone through to get us to this point yeah you know whether they be cultural or blood ancestors but Mm -hmm. you know we are standing on some amazing shoulders yes and we owe it to you know the future generations to keep moving it forward Mm -hmm. and we will yes yes together (laughs) together completely yeah Uh, well, thank you so very much. This is uh, such a rich uh, exploration of this really, really important. Um, you know, how do we how do we be free? How do we claim our own freedom mm-hmm. in our BIPOC identities, in our mm-hmm. LGBTQ 
gender non-conforming identities and also how those who don't have those identities can support that freedom yeah right in, yeah. in our sanghas so deep deep gratitude um, mm. for your yeah. and and big heart for sharing, mm. sharing this with us today Thank you, Kara Jewel. I mean, ultimately, we all need each other. I mean, nobody, you know, like nobody is free until we're all free. And, you know, once we get it through our thick human heads that that's Mm -hmm. (laughs) the way to go, you know, and who knows, you know, when, if that'll ever happen. But, Mm -hmm. you know, bring back Larry again. You know, he said, "Law, not in this lifetime or several lifetimes will we ever be on a level playing field. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean we stop trying, Mm -hmm. you know, so we do our best. Mm -hmm. We take rest when we need to, and then others can come forward, and then we go back and forth. So, yeah. That's also so important, right? To not Mm. burn ourselves out trying to to do everything alone, but to do Mm -hmm. what we can, take Mm -hmm. a rest, Mm -hmm. know that it's going to keep going. It's, you know, um, I, I do really feel that no action goes lost. Mm-hmm. in the, the larger universe even if mm-hmm. it's you know lifetimes later that something comes of it yeah it's just just as you said it's so important that it gets expressed that the act, mm-hmm. action gets made yeah yeah we always plant that seedling even if we'll never see the tree that it becomes mm-hmm. you know that we just do the one thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah well thank you so very much again Mm, Um, for all that you are and manifest in this world it's it's such a deep uh joy and gift to to know you and to have you as a friend and thank you for being with us today yeah thank you kyra jewel much love Mm, much love to you This has been Kyra Jewel Lingo for opening Dharma access with La Sarmento sharing their Dharma experience as a BIPOC teacher. Lama Yeshe and Reverend Lian will be sharing their discussions with more teachers in the coming months. Look for new episodes on the first Tuesday of every month. In between episodes, we'll also share a meditation, mindfulness practice, chant, or another form of practice from our guests with you. Come back to check that out and to keep on listening to our BIPOC teachers. Be sure to subscribe for notifications and rate and review the podcast to help us spread the word. Check the episode notes for resources and email us at suddenleap.a2z at gmail.com with any questions. Let's open Dharma access to all beings.